Hi, and welcome to another episode of Healthcare IT Today's CIO podcast. I'm Colin Han, filling in for the shoes of John Lin, my compatriot in health IT. And today I'm sitting down with John Kravitz, SVP and CIO at Geisinger Health and board chair at Chime. John, welcome to the program. Thank you, Colin. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. So, John, before we dive into the questions that I want to ask you, maybe can you give us a quick overview of you, your role, and uh, Geisinger? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, my role is Corporate Chief Information Officer for Geisinger. Um, we are an academic integrated delivery network. So, we do have medical school, um, health plan, and a large clinical enterprise. And so, uh, my responsibilities span across the entire organization for all technology. Awesome. Thank you for that, John. So I understand, John, you recently attended the Chime Summer Forum, and they covered a lot of policy issues there, as they normally do. Um, what were your big takeaways that other CIOs should know about from this event? Well, I think, you know, there are a couple of big takeaways. Um, you know, we, we talked uh, with the um, national coordinators, actually all national coordinators from the beginning of time um, throughout this process. And we spent considerable time with Dr. David Brailer. And, um, and his, his feedback, I think, was really important here. Um, you know, we've, we've done a lot of work. Public health is needing some investment. It's really broken, needs some investment. And Chime continues to seek additional congressional funding. Um, we agree with this as a priority uh, as an organization. Uh, artificial intelligence holds challenges. Uh, you know, examples are de-identification of data puts tons of promise on everyday diagnosis, but there's a lot of innovation occurring in that area. So that's really important for us. And APIs hold plenty of promise. You know, we as, as an organization use a lot of APIs and I know a lot of healthcare organizations are starting to as other industries have done successfully, uh, but there is a lot of um, potential for combining data held by, you know, information that's governed by HIPAA rules and regulations. And we want to be careful about that. We want to protect the privacy of the patients. And, um, and so, you know, we need to think about that innovatively, how we approach that. So I think those are probably three of the larger takeaways from the discussion. Um, it was really a, a fun-filled two days of, of activity. And what I thought was really interesting about the approach is we, we broadcast, you know, live from three cities, uh, from Atlanta, from D.C., as well as from Salt Lake City. And, um, and we had some great participation by CIOs, some board members, and really CIOs throughout Chime. So really well received um, and a lot of great, you know, interaction with our, with our CIOs. And we have a number of those that do attend policy steering committee. Uh, but I can tell you, um, we get great participation from our CIOs and we're really appreciative of that. Well, kudos for Chime for being innovative in terms of the format and using multiple cities and especially at a time when we're suffering a little bit from uh, webinar burnout. So yes, yes. Uh, it goes to them. And, and what a great um, comment that you made around uh, public health. Totally agree with you. We need to invest in it more. It's been underfunded clearly as the pandemic has proven. Uh, and so hopefully that will turn around. But, but very interested in this session that you mentioned where you had all previous ONC uh, national coordinators there and and you know, from, from the beginning of time, that must have been some interesting conversation. Um, were there any particular insights that they were able to share looking back at history or? Well, 
it's it's interesting where um, you know we had different perspectives from different uh, folks that had been in those roles. And as we step through this entire process, I think there's been a lot of success, a lot of uh, bipartisan work that's occurred, uh, really had some great movement. And you know, we move forward with electronic health records. Uh, we're now moving forward with interoperability to a great degree where we're stopping data blocking, you know, eliminating blocking of data, because actually it's not us. It's not the healthcare system zones, the data, it's the patient's data, right? And it's it should be free for the patient to be able to, you know, share that data. Now, we have to be careful, you know, and the patient should be careful as well, because there potentially could be bad actors. Just because you can share your data with all these different applications, you know, is it is it always the safest thing to do to protect your data? And so that's something to consider. Um, we, we are not, you know, allowed to, um, you know, differentiate different vendors or rate vendors or anything like that that are developing these apps. But I think what's important is that, you know, the person who is, who is collecting their personal health information is really cognizant of where that's being shared. Be careful about that because data can get in the wrong hands and that would be detrimental for the patients. So we want to be careful. Yeah, to me, it sounds like there's a lot of education that's going to have to be done here because, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, not everyone is as obvious as stealmyhealthdata.com. That's probably not a website you want to work with or an app you want to work with, but but there might be some not so great players who disguise the fact that that is actually what they're doing, that they're using their data to monetize it or to sell it. Yes. Uh, and, and and as a patient, you may not have the um, the knowledge to to know that, right? Um so definitely some education needed there. You yeah, actually, go ahead. Go ahead, Colin. I, I just wanted to follow up too, because, you know, we're talking about public health and the infrastructure for public health. And so, you know, we think, you know, that's really important. Chime did sign on to a letter um, in April of uh, 2021, and it was really about data modernization uh, for fiscal year 22. And so, you know, we ask the, to continue the, to prioritize public health data modernization at the Center for Disease Control. And uh, we'll continue to do that and advocate on that behalf. Uh, we really feel that, you know, CHIME fortunately is looked upon as, as a really um, valuable asset to our federal government, you know, which is, which is impressive because CIOs are really banded around this uh, they put a lot of time and effort in on their own personal time just to support this initiative because they want to see health improved, you know, across the country. And the tools that we have are so important to do that. And I think that's something that, you know, we'll need to look at. Uh, we'll continue to work toward that. Um, Chime has done a, a number of things, too, even in the public health sector is, you know, multi-stakeholder letters to lawmakers on public health surveillance. Now that occurred in, in September of 2020. And then even before that, March of 2019, industry stakeholder letter to, on CDC data initiatives uh, for house appropriators. So, you know, we'll continue to, um, you know, to advocate on behalf of public health because we think it's really important. No, it's certainly amazing to see. And it's certainly encouraging to see when, when groups like Chime and, and CIOs get together to kind of push policy forward, I think it's I think it's wonderful because as we know, data, which is under the purview of, of CIOs, is so important now to healthcare. 
and making it interoperable, making it uh, standardized, all those things will just make healthcare that much or help healthcare get that much better. Yep. I completely agree. That that is the step. And and data governance is a big factor in that, you know, in, in trying to get those data standards so that everyone could write to those standards to make it interoperable is going to be the key. So we'll see a lot of value of that over time. Now, on that topic, though, I mean, you, of course, you, you mentioned it already. The ONC really helped push uh, the digitization of healthcare by putting the incentive programs and really pushing and pulling uh, the industry to move with electronic health records. Um, you know, I think now looking back, I think some would say there was, maybe it was a missed opportunity to bake in more uh, interoperability into those rules when we initially got there. But I think we also have to remember that we came from a place where most of this stuff was still paper, right? Yes. Like, so, so, so given where we've, ne- where we've now arrived, I think it's still a successful program. But, but now, um, you know, interoperability has, is sort of a hot potato. You know, does, it, does, the, uh, does the onus fall on organizations like Geisinger? Does it fall on the vendors? Uh, you know, does it fall on HIEs? You know, where, where are you as Geisinger doing work to, to solve this interoperability problem? Are you working with your vendors? Are you doing a lot of the work on your own? Talk to we're, us about that. We're working with our vendors. So I can, I can give you an example. Uh, the health plan uh, is required by July 1 to have interoperability with the subscribers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they can pull their uh, clinical information that's available through the health plan, through the payer side. Um, that is an area where we worked with the vendor but we had to engage, uh, not all vendors have open notes, you know, like the electronic health record. Uh, we were by, by the way, the second organization to do open notes in the country. Um, and so, you know, we've been, we've been behind that for a long time and opening up more and more and more of our operative notes and everything else to the, you know, consultation notes, you name it, progress notes uh, to the patients. And, and so, you know, part of that is, how do you write your note so it can be read and understood by the patient, right? That's a change in our, our thinking on documentation. And so that's another important factor, you know, that's on the clinical enterprise that's coming, you know, that's started, but it's, it's rolling out more and more and more over time. Uh, and we worked with our vendor Epic, you know, in this case for that purpose. Uh, but for the health plan, we really didn't have a, a baked solution. So we had to develop that. And we did work with the vendor and outside contractors to assist us in that with our API management platform and everything else to enable that. Uh, that's the kind of thing that it's hard work. It's not something that's easy to do. It took us well over a year to do it. And, uh, you know, getting back, though, Colin, your, your point is, yes, it takes time. We went from paper records. You have to do the crawl, walk, run right? It's, it's a process. We digitized our records in the standard formats, had CCDAs as an interoperability standard to at least share episodic data. You can't pull your whole, if you did, I mean, it would take a lot of CCDAs to pull all that data across historically, but you know, you can, if you wanted to, uh, but the idea is look, we've developed these standards. We have a minimum data set, you know, we've got um, you know, national drug codes and line codes and things like that. So drug, drug codes for pharmaceuticals, line codes for lab tests. And, you know, they're not all standardized perfectly. And different vendors have little tweaks and twists in those things. But we need to work more toward that standardization. 
And so your point being, you know, we've got these electronic health records stood up. We, we had tested the meaningful use. We can exchange them for meaningful use. It was a little clunky, right? It wasn't easy. And so, you know, working through that now, and the thought process is give it to the patient so the patient can control their destiny, you know, and how effective are we going to be at that when they have a mobile app with their electronic health record on their phone, and then they want to share that to another electronic health record system. You know, we're not quite there yet, but that's in the plans and that's in the works. And I think, I think that, you know, not driven by the organization paternalistically, healthcare organization or healthcare organization, but, you know, patient to healthcare organization, that's a different way of thinking. That's a different way of operating. And really, you know, the Portability Act, that's what health insurance, you know, health uh, information portability act. And, and that's what HIP is all about. And that's what we need to do. So it does make sense, but it is a crawl, walk, run approach to it. I look forward to the day when we can really seriously talk about data portability in healthcare, because uh, yeah. that would, um, first of all, I think it would make the, the fathers of, uh, you know, HIPAA very happy, finally, yes. <laughs> to get the portability finally into healthcare. But your point is well taken. It's, you need to make it, get it to that point in order to make that information truly useful and to iron out a lot of the inefficiencies that are in healthcare. True. Well, and you know, you, you look at other industries that have gone there, they've either moved to the cloud or they've done APIs and they've done standard transactions, but they're not like healthcare transactions. It's not as complex life and death type transactions. So it takes time, you know, to mature to that level. And, and I think we're on well on our way to do that. So right. I think it's positive, uh, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, and let's, let's on that, on that, it's related. Uh, I'm thinking about information blocking, right? A lot of, uh, you know, had COVID not happened, mm-hmm. um, which I wish, I think everyone wishes that never happened, but it, if that didn't happen, I think the big topic that we would have been talking about in 2020 would have been info, info blocking because the rules came in right at the beginning of the year. It was yes. a big deal. Um, you know, and, and the goal of information blocking and those rules was to improve the interoperability and the access to, to data. Do you think that that is, you know, A, going to come back in, as a topic of discussion and B, more importantly, will it actually help to, to, to achieve the level of interoperability and portability you were just talking about? I, I think it will help achieve that. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a process that we go through for the interoperability um, and how we can consume that back into electronic health records. So say you're in one city and you go for care, you know, or a second opinion in another city, it doesn't necessarily have to be the healthcare system that you received your care at sending your records electronically over. If you have control over them, you can, you know, push those records, at least show them the records and then hopefully push them. Um, you know, we did a lot with patient portals, things like that. We still use patient portals very heavily for test results and things like that, requesting right. appointments and all that stuff, paying bills. But, uh, but I think, you know, we're getting to the age where that interoperability and not blocking data is very important. We can't look at it like it's a strategic initiative for us to have this data. It's, uh, it's our patients and the patients deserve to have this information available to them. It's their data. Uh, so we have to be careful about that and be cognizant as CIOs, how we're thinking about this. And always in the back of our mind is we can't be paternalistic about the, the patient protecting all their data. You know, they're going to release that information to them. Uh, but it is going to be, you know, education, as you stated. I think that's extremely important, um, as well as 
you know, hopefully they're making good decisions going forward, you know, and um, they'll have to do some homework on that before they decide who they want to share their data with. I mean, ultimately we have to be careful. So. I like it. I like it. You know, as a follow on, uh, John, are there any policy changes that you're watching uh, and you're looking out for or, or hoping will come down the pipe in the next uh, you know, couple of years? Well, I think Chime, again, they're advocating on behalf of the healthcare CIOs and the healthcare institutions. There are a number of issues and spending a lot of time working to educate our members and the complexities of these policies. But, um, you know, it, as far as, you know, non-data blocking, the key is, you know, we have to do everything we can to be able to support that because it is the role, right? It's something we're required to do. Um, you know, don't, don't take measures that's going to block that data from going to a, a patient. You can't be paternalistic about it. Again, it is their data. So I think that's where we have to keep that in the forefront of our minds. And, uh, and you know, Chime will continue to advocate. And, and a lot of our members are on the Chime Policy Steering Committee, and, uh, and they're very active in it. In fact, I, unfortunately, I used to be able to attend a lot and my schedule doesn't permit as much, but I do get a lot of correspondence and it has been a, a yeoman's effort that, that a lot of our CIOs put into this. They do a lot of work. They, they purview, they correct, they add information. They're wonderful. They do a great job on this. So I'm very appreciative of the work that our, our CIO colleagues do to support our advocacy efforts for China. So let me ask that question because uh, you, you, you touched on it. You know, you're so busy. You've got a gazillion things that cross your desk, um, a gazillion projects, I'm sure, that are on the go. How do uh, or how would a CIO like yourself keep up to speed on all the latest regulations? Well, that's why we really lean on Chime, because they they kind of boil it down for us. You know, the team does a fantastic job. Uh, there are a number of great people. They're located in D.C. They know the legislative people. They have relationships with, with these, um, these folks that are, are actually just, you know, planning and educating them uh, in their, their decisions and how they should look at this and really doing it in a bipartisan way, which I think is really, really important here. We're not planning down, a, you know, a political party line. We're doing the right thing. You know, it's very utilitarian. What's the best for the country, for the CIOs, for healthcare organizations, for the people in this country? And that's what it comes down to. I think if, you know, you continue to do that um, and we have, we get great bulletins, alerts, everything else from the team. Um, and they're on their game all the time. I've never worked with a professional team like this before. And they're really on their game. They do a fantastic job for us. Awesome. That's really great to hear. And I'm sure the Chime folks are very happy that, with all the kudos you're sending their way. I love well, it. Well deserved. <laughs> well deserved. Well deserved indeed. So we're getting towards the end of our time here, but I want to make sure I ask this question. Um, for any of the new CIOs or aspiring healthcare CIOs out there, what advice would you give them right now? Um, I think, you know, you want to stay um, connected to organizations that are, are advocating on behalf of healthcare. I think that's really important. Um, don't be afraid to roll up your sleeves and get involved. I think that's really important as well. Take the time. You know, there's a lot of reading in this job. You get a lot of documentation to read and weigh in on. Take the time to do that. I know it is, it's quite onerous at times, but it's really important. We're entrusted as CIOs 
uh, to help guide, you know, the way that things uh, function in organizations to meet the letter of the law and regulatory requirements. And we need to be on our game for that. I'll give you an example of telemedicine, right? Uh, we, we pushed telemedicine as CIOs for a long time before the pandemic hit. And then all of a sudden, you know, it took off like wildfire. And, um, and it was used because, you know, people were afraid of contacting COVID. So they wanted to stay home and do it. And that was great. Well, we're seeing other situations now with, you know, remote patient monitoring in the home setting as well. Uh, people continuing to, to do that. Now, a lot of people do want to get out and see their physician in person. I see that. Our numbers have come down. We're at about 10% as of late last night, about midnight, that I saw the numbers of, you know, telemedicine visits. But that doesn't preclude us from doing specialty visits for telemedicine. Um, a lot of education through it as well. So I, I think there's a lot of upshot and a lot of opportunity. We would like to see telemedicine continue um, as Chime is advocating on behalf of the CIOs. Um, we think it's an important uh, component. You know, another, another component of the healthcare delivery network and shouldn't be rolled out because the pandemic, you know, will be coming to an end as we get, you know, vaccinated. But, but really, it still uh, could be very valuable for elderly patients that you know can't always get transportation or are too sick to leave a nursing home. I mean, there are so many opportunities here to really take care of people and do it in the right way. And we've learned a lot, I think, over the past 15 months with regard to telemedicine. We thought we were good at it before. Well, we've gotten better at it. And I think that's what's important here. And we know it's sustainable and it's an opportunity for us for the future. I love I love your 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 advice there because I think if anything the last twelve months have shown us that when we put our minds to it, and when CIOs roll up their sleeves and get involved, um, things can move very very quickly. Like the deployment of telehealth, right? And yeah. I was deployed in a matter of months or weeks in some cases, and it didn't take a year plus like it might have if we didn't have the impetus. I, I know a lot of organizations that in two days, they had all their employees working from home that could be back office employees. For us, that was about 10,000 people um, in two days. So, you know, not that we weren't, we scaled. We were able to scale, we planned for it. And I know a lot of my CIO colleagues were the same way. We all talked about it and kudos to them because they made it happen and they were very successful at it. And it's just another way that I, you know, IT and CIOs are coming to the to support the business at all opportunities. Well, John, I want to say thank you so much for the information you shared with us today. I really enjoyed talking with you. We covered everything from public health to Chime to you know interoperability to ONC to information blocking. We covered a lot of topics. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. It's my pleasure. Appreciate the time and, and the opportunity to share some of the things that the good work the Chime is doing. So thank you again, Colin. This has been Colin Hung with Healthcare IT Today's CIO podcast. Thanks for listening.